Thank you for that, college. That first note, I don't know what happened to it. It died. But you, you regained yourself, so I appreciate you singing tonight. I'm glad it wasn't me singing. The angels are singing again. Philippians tonight, chapter number three. Philippians chapter three tonight. <coughs> Look at this together. You that are visiting with us tonight, thank you so much for being part of the service. I hope you feel at home. You know, I think when a person comes to church, they shouldn't feel like a visitor. And uh, I think they should just feel like, hey, this is a, a family or a good place to be. And, of course, if you're a Christian, you ought to feel like you're saved, I mean. You ought to feel like you're part of a family. So hope that's the case tonight. Philippians 3. Church, I mean, we're walking through um, the book of Philippians. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to backtrack over to ch chapters 1 and 2. Last week's message that we looked with just verse number 1 of Philippians 3, verse number 1, it says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. And so we followed back <coughs> through the book of Philippians of all the things that Paul repeated himself. And he said, hey, listen, it's not a problem for me to go through these things. And, of course, he talked about false teachers, rejoice in the Lord. He talked about several different things that he repeated more than one time in the, in the book of Philippians. And then in chapter number 3, verse number 2, he's going to pick up a kind of a, a different thought. And always try, it's always a challenge to find out where it breaks because sometimes Apostle Paul and all the writings of Scripture are not just breaking at a verse and sometimes at several verses. For me, when I study things, I, looked, I look for punctuation, and I know that the punctuation um, was really the King James translators as far as them putting those thoughts together uh, on many occasions. But the punctuation really tells you as far as what goes together most of the time, and it's just such of the case tonight. So we'll look at this, these verses together and uh, just a few verses. I think we're going to end up looking at verses 1 through 10 or, uh, tonight, and they're kind of they're grouped together. I want to share a thought that Apostle Paul may, makes mention here. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for letting us be in church tonight. Again, we just ask again the Spirit of God would have its way in our hearts. Lord, again, please open up the Scriptures and our, our eyes of understanding. Lord, help us again to draw closer to you tonight. <coughs> Father, if there's somebody here not saved, would you draw them to you? And Lord, help them to be saved. And thank you again for your Son, Jesus, who died for all of us. Father, we just again ask for your blessings tonight. Thank you again for your people. Thank that we can sing about how wonderful you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for doing that, Brother Barney. All right, Philippians chapter 3. Let's pick it up in verse number 2, all right? We're going to walk through these verses together. Verse 2 says this, beware of dogs. That's the warning that no house should have a dog, all right? Beware of dogs. And um, my, my, my daughter, Sarah, wants a dog so bad. And you don't go buy her a dog, okay? I'm just telling you, don't do that, all right? Uh, we, have a, we have had a few dogs at our house, but they all died. And uh, I'm not lying. You know, of course, I grew up on a farm. While we grew up in a house, Dad had a farm. I'm going to tell you, now, he's in heaven now. He's got perfect knowledge. But why do you have 16 acres of land and have all of these animals? I mean, he had horses and geese and llama and deer and skunk and peacocks and guineas. And, um, I mean, everything of pigs. I mean, he had everything you could think of. I mean, he had his own little zoo is what he had. And he never butchered any of them. <clears throat> and his thinking was is that we have a Christian school and the school kids need to understand animals. And so he would, for PE class, we would clean out the manure in the stalls of the horses and all the other kind of animals that he had. And he was teaching us something. So don't ask me why we don't have any animals in my house. All right? There's a reason why we don't have any animals in my house. I have, I have eight children. Who needs animals? All right? But uh, anyway, he's not referring to real dogs here. But he's saying here, beware of dogs in the context. He says, beware of evil workers. <coughs> beware of the concision. Now, church family... Verse number two, Paul is referring to these Jews 
that were teaching that it was works and Jesus Christ. There were Jews that, that were believers in the sense of, yes, it's faith in Jesus Christ, but you have to obey the Mosaic law. And Paul's making reference to these people in this verse. I'm not going to be able to preach with a cough drop in my mouth. I'm so sorry. And um, that was not very nice. But the whole night I'm going to be moving that thing around my mouth. And I can crunch it if you'd like for me to, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to take it out and be very inappropriate. I'm from the pulpit. So, all right, now that we have the cough drop out of the way, are you all ready to go? Okay, thank you very much. All right, verse, verse number two, I apologize. Verse two. So what he's talking about here in verse number two is these Jews used to call the Gentiles dogs. And Paul turns it on them. He says, listen, the real dogs are the people who are barking and trying to cause people to misunderstand the grace of God as far as a person getting saved and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because they were trying to attach the Mosaic law or obeying the law with Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's not works in Christ, it's him alone. And by the way, you didn't get saved because you came to church tonight or because you got baptized. You got saved because you accepted the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we believe that and know that. And I'm glad from a child I've always heard that. But now as an adult, more so, I'm grateful, I'm thankful that we don't have to do something. We're not legalists. We don't believe that you have to do something in order to gain salvation. Salvation, it was all paid on the cross of Calvary. It was all paid for. And we, by faith, accepted that and believed that and received that through Jesus Christ. So Paul's making reference to these guys that were kind of trying to really confuse the Gentiles as if, okay, well, you're not a Jew, so we're better than you. So if you're going to become like us and believe on Christ, then you're going to have to make sure that you obey our laws also. And that's not the case. So then Paul says this. Now, this all ties together. That's why we're just kind of going verse by verse here. But verse number three, Paul says this. For we are the circumcision. <laughs> I almost feel like the Apostle Paul was being sarcastic in verse number two because he calls them the concision. The word concision there means mutilation. mutilation. I think he was almost obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But what Paul was trying to say is when he says, for we are the circumcision, he said, we're the real Jew. He says these, now I'm going to use this terminology, these fake Jews that would like for you to believe that you have to obey the Mosaic law and receive Jesus Christ, that's not, the real, that's not the real thing. He says, we're the circumcision. We're the Jews, the true Jew, that believes that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And, here, and he even describes now these three things in verse number three. He says, for we are the circumcision, and here, three things he mentions about himself. For we worship God in the spirit. By the way, we all understand that, John chapter 4. Those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He says, we worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not the message tonight, but it's in the, it's in the passage. I just want to tell you something. If you're a Christian, you ought to rejoice in Christ Jesus. Hey, listen, listen to me. Some of you young people, are, are you're, um, I, I hope that you're saved. Because I want to tell you something. You make it appear that you're always upset or sad. Or, and I want to tell you something. The joy, there ought to be joy because you're a Christian. It's, uh, you know, all these rules and all these, you know, I got to do this, I got to do that. It's not about this and that, it's about him. And if you, ha if you haven't figured that out yet, that your parents are not in a cult, all right? Your parents are in a, a Bible-believing church that preaches and teaches that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save your soul. And once you have him, you don't do things because I have to. You do things because you want to. Again, okay, let's face it, it is work. And if you're a young person, it goes against our grain, against our flesh of, okay, I got to go to church, <coughs> I got to go to the bus route, I got to go to soul I've got to do this, I got to do that. Okay, yeah, it goes against your flesh. Wait a second here. That doesn't, rejoicing in the Lord has nothing to do with, I don't want to work today. That's, a part, that, that's more of a character flaw concerning laziness, but I'm, we're not talking about that. 
We're talking about you ought to be able to have some joy in your heart about being a Christian. I'm not on my way to hell. I didn't have to grow up in some lost home where a person's drinking and smoking and it's dad and girlfriend or mom and boyfriend. I get to grow up in a home where mom and dad loved me and they stayed together. And a mom and dad that's trying to put me in through Christian education, whether it's at home or whether it's in a Christian school, you got a lot to rejoice the Lord about. Paul says, hey, listen, I just want to tell you, we're not those Jews that tell you you have to do something to be saved. We're those, we're, we're those Jews that tell you that because you're saved, you can be happy. He goes on to say this. He says, not only the Jews that worship the Lord in spirit, rejoice in Jesus Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, I think by the, by the time you get to the third one, I think you see how it, <coughs> how it ties together. That it, No confidence in the flesh. In other words, I'm not doing anything to be saved. No confidence in the flesh. Now, remember, it's almost like chains that the links are going together with these verses. That's why it was kind of hard to find a stopping point because when Paul's writing this letter, it's like one link to another link to another link. Paul starts off by saying, hey, listen, those guys are telling you wrong. Those dogs, those guys are telling you it's works for salvation. I want to tell you something that's not works. I want you to tell it from our point of view. It's that we worship the Lord in spirit. We rejoice in the Lord. We have no confidence in the flesh. This very next verse, though, Paul explains that if he could have confidence in the flesh, that he could do it. And here's why. Look at your, <coughs> look at your Bible, verse 4. He says... Uh, verse, sorry, verse number, uh, da, 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 da. verse number, last phrase, verse number three, no confidence in the flesh, verse four. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more, and colon. So in verse number five and six, he's about to tell them why he could have confidence in his flesh. If, if, if works were part of salvation, then, then Paul's saying, hey, you can't get any better than this. Now, I know that sounds awful proud, but Paul is referring to his childhood and his upbringing of all the things that he had. He, he had it to a T. You couldn't have got any better than Apostle Paul if it was a matter of obeying the works of the law and, the, and, and, and that. So look what he says next in verse number five. <coughs> he says, if I was going to trust in my flesh, I could. Why? Verse five, circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now, church family, <coughs> again, I told you how this links together. Paul says, first of all, <coughs> I am really sorry tonight. Old age is looking better all the time. <coughs> Thank you, Brother Nearing. <coughs> so that was a true testimonial from Brother Nearing. <coughs> Can't wait till I'm 80. Anyway, um, <coughs> Don't worry, it's not far. All right. <laughs> Do you understand that Apostle Paul is trying to say is this. Those guys are telling you it's works of the law and Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, if it was the works of the law, then I'd be on my way to heaven. And he goes through all the things that he did. I was a Pharisee. Um, I kept the law strictly. He, and he goes through all the different things. I'm going to look at those things real briefly tonight. And I can't give you the detail like Paul's trying to explain it. I, I feel like that, what Paul, that if you were a Jew, you would really understand Paul was really up here when it came to basically having the credentials to be saved because he obeyed the law. He was raised in the law. But here's the next verse I want you to notice. Again, here's the link, verse number seven. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. All right, now, church family, here's what I want to talk to you about for just a few moments tonight, okay? And I appreciate your patience. Apostle Paul <clears throat> makes this statement that the things that were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Now, church family, according to the context of Scripture, 
um, I think you see it. What were the gains of Apostle Paul that he said, I count those things lost for Christ? I think that they're the previous verses that Paul was saying. I think you would agree with me that it's pretty evident that when Paul says in verse number 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost, he's referring to verse 5 and 6. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day, verse 5. I was, stock of, I was of the stock of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Then he says, but what things were gained? In other words, okay, if anybody, remember now, in the context of the previous verses, if anybody could boast themselves of their flesh as far as what they have done, I'm the best candidate. That's what Paul was, I'm the best candidate. And he goes through all those things. And then he makes the statement, those gains, I counted lost. Now, here's the thought tonight, if I can get you to think about this for just a moment. Church, I mean, when, when uh, in life, we try to figure out, as we, especially as you get older, what is a gain and what is losses, all right? Apostle Paul is talking about the gains and losses of, of his life. Now, stay with me for tonight. I really believe we'll be brief tonight. Do you understand that when Apostle Paul is trying to say there's gains and losses in his life, we're, we're the same way. If you, if you ever get a loan uh, for a house of any sort, they're going to ask you for your assets and your liabilities. They're going to ask you for what your gains and for what your losses. They want to know uh, what accounts do you have. Do you have savings account? Do you have a, a 401k? <coughs> do you have um, <coughs> collateral of any sort? They're looking at your gains, and then they want to know how much do you owe? You, if you own a house, how much do you owe on that house? They want to know what your assets and your liabilities are. All right? He wants to know what your gains and losses are. So Paul is talking to the church at Philippi from prison, and he's writing them this letter, and he says, listen, if there's anybody that could <coughs> tell you that I have some gains, he would say, hey, listen, I have this gain because I'm an Israelite. Okay, let's see if we can try this again. All right, he says, if I could do something tonight, I would say I could do this, as a, I'm, a, I'm an Israelite. Uh, Stephen, come on up here real quick, help me real quick here. Stand on the side and put your foot behind that thing so it doesn't roll on me. Hold that right there. He said, if I have, was to be able to say I had a gain, I would say I, I was because I was a Benjamite. The church family, I know all of these things mean a whole lot more than what I'm saying, but just think about this. He said, he said I'm a true Jew. He says, I'm not, I'm not uh, anything else but a Jew. He says, I'm a Benjamite. He says, the Benjamite, first king of Israel, came from Benjamin. Uh, when there was a split in the kingdom, you understand that only Benjamin and Judah stayed together. Benjamin landed on the right side. When you followed the Benjamite, that was, I mean, think about it. The two sons of um, Rachel was Joseph and Benjamin. They were the favored children. He says, hey, listen, I was of, in his, as his terminology, I was from the best tribe. Yeah, he goes on to say, he says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. All right, which talking about his father and mother, as far as both being uh, Hebrews. When we use the word Pharisee, we use it as the word hypocrite in our uh, terminology today, but that's not what Pharisee meant to them when they, when, when back then. A person who was a Pharisee, they knew the law. In fact, when you look at the parables of Christ, the Pharisees say, I, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes. And a Pharisee followed, they followed everything. All right, so this was somebody who knew the law. So here's what I'm trying to get you to see tonight. Apostle Paul said, these were gained to me. I'm going to run out of room here. These were gained to me as far as my life. Now, church, I, mean, I want to tell you something. I know in your life, you would not use these same things maybe as your gains, but I think if you make the parallel tonight, especially if you're raised in a Christian home, you have some major gains in your life. 
when you think about it, all righty, Israel is always a picture, Old Testament, New Testament, Israel's picture of being a believer. How many saved tonight? Say amen. amen. Okay, that's a game. All right. Uh, Benjamite was a certain tribe of the children of Israel. I would guarantee that there's first generation, second generation, and third generation, and maybe more Christians tonight that your tribe, your generation, you're going to find out that you had some grandparents that were saved or somebody that invested in your life or prayed for you to make it to where you were. You have some gains in life. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee. Hey, I want to tell you something. I know some of you young people think that all of these rules is not for your good, but can I just tell you, there's a bunch of kids that are raised in non-denominational, I'm going to use that terminology, non-denominational homes who have no rules, who have Christ, but they have no standard, no protection, no, no safety net as an umbrella of a good Christian home or the umbrella of a good church. They don't have those things. And I'm just trying to tell you tonight, that's a gain for you. Whether you know it or not, it's a gain for you. I think that you talk about Paul saying, hey, I was so zealous that I persecuted the church. And really what Paul was saying, he was talking to the Jews, I persecuted your enemy. Because to them, the church was their enemy. That sect is what it was called. And Paul said, hey, listen, I was, I was so zealous, I tried to squash that before I got saved. He talked about being blameless. The word blameless, not a handle on. You can't point to something. Paul said, man, these things were gains in my life. That's why when you talk about the flesh, he said, if I could look to my flesh, it doesn't get any better than this. All right, now, here's the, here's the thought tonight. Look at your next verse, and here's where we're at. Paul says this in verse number, uh, let's pick it up in verse number seven again. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for... For what? What does it say? <laughs> the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, church, I mean, here's the thought. And again, I told you it wouldn't be long because it's real simple tonight. What Paul was trying to say is what was a gain. Hold this other side, son. What was a gain is what became my loss. He said, these things that made me in the eyes of people as being a good person, a spiritual person. He said, those things that... I would have counted as gain, those now are all considered losses. He said there's only one thing, he said there's only one thing that I count a gain. And what did he say now? Look at your Bible again in verse number eight. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for one thing, the excellency of the, what's the next four words? Knowledge of Christ. Now, Here is all of our gain, right there. Thank you, son. You can be seated. Church family, let me read the verse, and then I'm going to talk to you for just a few minutes on this thought tonight. In verse number eight, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, gain Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God, by faith. Now, I think verse number eight and nine, <coughs> I think the, the, there's two, to me there's two things here, and I want to just point them out quickly. The first thing is this. Everything is a loss when it comes to salvation because when you knew Christ or when you know Christ, Paul was saying in verse number nine, I took on the righteousness of Christ. Just remember, the only reason our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. You got saved because you were a sinner and Jesus Christ died on the cross who was sinless. And when you got saved and you accepted Christ, you took on Christ's righteousness so that when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see your sinfulness, he sees the righteousness of Christ. That's the only way we get to go to heaven is because of Jesus Christ and it's because of his righteousness covering our sin. 
Now, so what Paul is saying in verse number eight and nine, he's saying, hey, listen, all of those things that used to be a gain in my life are now lost in my life for one thing, and that's so that I could know Christ. The day that he was on the road to Damascus and he saw that light that came out of heaven and he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal savior. Hey, I don't know when you got saved, but you should never forget when you got saved. I don't know what the Lord did as far as the process or the person that he might have used or the seed that was planted. But I'm just trying to say, can I tell you, that was the biggest gain you will ever have in your lifetime is the day you came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I had everything you could think of. Listen, tonight, you can have everything you can think of. And that's why I put the words all things, because that's what Paul said. He said, I count all things at loss. And it doesn't matter if I'm an Israelite, a Benjamin, or a Pharisee. What matters is all things. And I want to tell you something. You can have the greatest wife in the world. You can have the greatest children in the world. You can have the greatest church in the world. You can have the greatest job in the world. You can have all the things that money can buy. But I want to tell you, there's no gain like knowing Christ as your Savior. There's zero gain. And, and tonight you say, this is the Sunday night crowd, and everybody, you know, they're probably saved. Okay, you might be saved tonight, and there might be somebody not saved tonight. But never forget, the biggest gain in your life is not what's in your checkbook. The biggest gain you have in your life is that when your sin debt was so large that you couldn't pay, that Christ paid it all, and you have a home in heaven, that's the biggest gain any person could ever have. But Paul does not stop there. Paul goes right into, and I told you the punctuation of the verses, because you'll notice in verse number nine, there's not a period at the end of verse number nine. I don't think it's at the end of verse number eight also. But look what he says in your, uh, in your passage there. In verse number eight, he ends with a comma. Verse number nine, he ends with a colon. And he goes on to say the first phrase of verse number 10. Now remember now, the phrase in verse number eight was, the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. The first phrase in verse number 10, one, two, three, four, five, first five words. Let's say them together, you ready? That I may know him. Say it again. That I may know. <coughs> now, church, in verse number 10, he's not talking about salvation. He was talking about salvation in verse number 8 and 9 because he says the righteousness of Christ is what took away my sin. He, he's very clearly talking about that. But in verse number 10, he's not talking about knowing him for salvation. He's talking about knowing him for sanctification. He's talking about that every day of your life, getting up and knowing him more praying and talking to him, that you might know his will for your life and seeking his will to be done in your life. Can I tell you the biggest gain you have as a Christian is that number one, that, you say, that you're saved and you know Christ, and the biggest gain that, gain that you have as a Christian is that you can know him on a regular basis, that every day of your life you get to talk to him, and every day you get to read, your, read the word and he gets to talk to you. There is no bigger gain than that. Man, I just, I wish I had a better job and I, I wish I just had more money and I wish I was ready for retirement. And I, wish my, I wish I had this and I wish I had a child. And I wish I could go here. I, I, can, listen, I don't know what your bucket list is, but I want to tell you, your bucket's already overflowing if you're saved tonight. Amen. It's overflowing. And we fail to understand that our gains and losses in life is not about financial, it's about spiritual. And can I tell you that every day of your life, your gain is that you get to get up tomorrow morning and open up the book, which is called the very word of God, not a novel, not a, not a book by a man, but God himself wants to speak to you. That's the biggest gain you could have. You know what? Because I get to know him. That's what he said in verse number 10, that I may know him. You know, sometimes we're so oblivious to not just the obvious to what's really important in life. What's really important in life? 
you know, our young people, I don't know how you pray for them, but I pray that they get married. I'm talking about the ones that are of marrying age right now, but I pray for the ones that are not of that marrying age. God, keep them pure and clean and show them who you want them to have. But, you know, we have a few in our church right now that they're at that age, boys, boys and girls both. They're at that age that they could get married. I mean, they're finished with high school. In some cases, they're still in college. Some are done with college. But, you know, it's funny. I was in chapel the other day, yesterday or whenever it was, a couple days ago. I'm not was yesterday, a couple days ago. And um, we were talking about the rapture again. <coughs> and that same scenario. We want the Lord to come back. And, you know, some of our girls, they don't want the Lord to come back. They want to get married first. <laughs> you know, the Bible <coughs> describes wisdom as wisdom is worth more than gold, silver, rubies, or all that a person could desire. Wisdom is really the personification of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we, we fail to realize the most important thing of life is how much you know Christ. How much you know Christ. You know, I, I know our, our staff, you know, they, they don't work for, for money. They work for God. And, and you know, it would be easy for them to look at their losses. But I want to tell you something. I can tell you right now, we have a bunch of staff. They're a whole lot richer than the average person because they know Christ. And by the way, that's why they can be happy doing what they're doing. Because they know Christ. Amen. Listen, I don't, I don't know where you're at spiritually right now. But be careful that you don't get so wrapped up in this world that you think your gains and losses are physical because they're not, they're not physical. Your gains and losses are spiritual. Amen. And Paul, so Paul said, to, <coughs> said to the church of Philippi, he said, I just want to tell you something. I thought these were gains until I really figured out those were losses. Because there's only one really true gain, and that's the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ the day I got saved. Amen. And then in verse number 10, it's a regular basis of me that I may know him. And I want to tell you, if you're saved tonight, you're rich. And if you're saved tonight, tomorrow morning your gains get to keep going up because I can spend time with him, whether it's tomorrow morning or tonight, I can spend time with him on a regular basis. Hey, <coughs> don't get the Lazarus syndrome. You know, we think, well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I have to be a beggar. We're not beggars. We're a child of the king. God expects us to live in this world and be salt and light. And it's not a matter of me trying to make millions. It's a matter of me knowing him. And the more I know him, the more I gain. By the way, the less you know him, the less you gain. Stay, keep your relationship with the Lord fresh. Stay in the book. Stay right with him. Because I want to tell you something, that's the true gain of a Christian. It's not all of, you know, what I've done, what I know, where I've been. It'll be one thing and one thing only. The knowledge of Jesus Christ for salvation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ for sanctification. Making sure that I'm saved and make sure every day of my life I spend time knowing him. That's the true gain of a Christian. Would you bow your head and close your eyes tonight?